So great to see all of you this morning, and what a very important morning in so many ways where we contemplate and celebrate this whole notion of what life is all about. And by the way, when we talk about the sanctity of life, we're not just talking about little unborn babies, but we're talking about all of life. And I want to tell you a story as we begin our time today in God's Word, and I hope you'll bring your, your Bibles out and, and just go along with me through the, this morning. But years ago, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, I was invited to speak at um, a camp in Lake City, Colorado. You, you might know Camp Red Cloud, you might have heard of it. And I was speaking there during the week of July the 4th. So on the 4th, we decided to take the folks that gathered at Camp Red Cloud and go into town to Lake City, which expands from a town of about, I'd say, 1,000 people to like 10,000 people on the 4th of July. But while I was walking around, I looked across the way there, and I noticed a person who looked familiar to me. Turns out it's a fella that I know very well. And 10 years to the day, July the 4th, I had officiated his wedding. 10 years to the day, I see him across the way in Lake City, Colorado. Two boys from Austin, Texas are meeting eyeball to eyeball. And I walked up to him and I said, Jimmy, what are you doing? He goes, what are you doing? And we told one another what we were doing. I'm speaking of the camp. And, oh, by the way, he is camping in his trailer about a half a mile away from the camp. You must come see me, he says. I've got some things to talk to you about. And so I did. And while there, I realized that my friend and his wife had gone separate ways that my buddy was telling me that the RV life is a slow suicide life, so lonely, always moving. And oh, by the way, he said, Rob, I've got a gun, and I was going to kill myself tonight. Now, what would you do in that situation? You know what I did? I talked to him about the living God. That's what I did. And I would not let go of him. I would not leave his trailer until he understood Romans chapter 8 and Psalm 139. It was just an incredible moment. Today, I am here for one purpose. I am here to encourage you. That's why I've come. God has laid a message on my mind to everyone here that might be the slightest bit discouraged, that you might be set free from that discouragement and walk in the life that God has for you. Now, to do that, we're going to open our Bibles to Psalm 139. And I hope you pull out a Bible so you can see it for yourself. And if you would find your place in Psalm 139, would you please stand in honor of God's Word? Please stand. The psalmist says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise uh, 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 on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And if only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from you, me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate them? I count them my enemies. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Our Father, we pray that you'll take the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart and make them pleasing in your sight, O God. Would you, God, breathe life into those who are discouraged? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now in John 17, there's an interesting little phrase that says, This is eternal life to know the one true God. Now, often when we talk about life, we think about quantity of life, right? Eternal life, it goes on forever. We might think about biological life, but Dallas Willard says when we think about eternal life, we should think about eternal kind of life. It's a quality of life. It's not just being born and even being born again, but it's the quality of that life. And I want to say to you, it's very possible that you've come here today and you are not experiencing any quality of life at all that you want to talk about. In fact, I would ask you today, are you discouraged or are you encouraged? I mean, I have a friend who's very discouraged today. He's getting ready to go to Mayo Clinic because 
They can't figure out what's going on with him physically, and he's incredibly discouraged. Or I think about a woman who walks by my, in my neighborhood by my house every week, and I know that she's in a very unhappy marriage and almost longs that I'm checking the mailbox so she can talk to me and be encouraged about her marriage. Or I, I think about my, my daughter who is trying to have a baby. And for two years, the difficulty of not getting pregnant. Now I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be a grandfather in May. But the discouragement that you might be feeling because you've asked God for that baby. I'm here to tell you about the discouragement of my own father who just called in hospice care because my mom is in her last days, maybe hours, and he has been married 66 years to my mom. And today... He needs encouragement. And perhaps you came today and you need encouragement. You might be like my friend up in Lake City who's come to the the end of things. You came maybe to hear a word today. And I'm praying that God will speak to your heart. Well, there's a couple of ideas that I want to show you here in this passage that are very exciting to me that that I think are the basis for being encouraged, for having that quality of life. And, And if you would write this down before we even look at the passage, here's what you need to know. Ultimately, the only way any of us can be encouraged is to know the one true God, to know who he is, and to know how he acts or what he's done in us and around us for his glory and our refreshment. So let's look at the passage, just dig in a few moments here. And I want to tell you four things about God that I believe brings encouragement. Here's the first thing, and look in your scripture if you would, but I'll also put it in the screen. First of all, to be encouraged, realize that he knows everything about me. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Now, this idea of God knowing everything is called, in theological terms, omniscience. And here's what it means. It means that he has all-encompassing perception. He knows everything about everything. He knows all actual and possible things. And here, the psalmist says, he knows everything about me. Look at verses 1 through 6. Almost sounds like a, a song. You know every move I make. My sitting and my rising, my going out and my lying down. You know every thought I think. You perceive my thoughts from afar, verse 2. You're familiar with all my ways. You even know what I'm going to say before I say it. That's pretty incredible. And how does that awareness affect the psalmist, David, as he writes this psalm? He says, I'm overwhelmed. 
You hemmed me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You see, here's the point. His limited perception of God's unlimited perception leads him to two responses. First, a sense of terror. But secondly, a sense of wonder. Terror because if you and I thought about God seeing us every single moment in every single thing we did, I mean sitting up late at night with that channel changer in our hand, seeing how we treated the neighbor, seeing how we in private said things about people. If we thought about God always seeing us, we would be terrified. But there's something else here. He says he also stands in wonder because this is incredible to him. Almighty God knows everything sinful about me and he still loves me. Are you kidding me? God knows every single thing I think and do, every word before I speak it, and he still loves me? Wow. What a God. There's a second thing I want you to see about the character of God, and it's this. First thing we learn is that he is, in fact, omniscient, He knows everything about me. But secondly, look at this. He will always be with me. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? This is the notion, theologically, that God is omnipresent. He's omnipresent. And how does David express God's omnipresence? Verse 8, he says, he's present in the heights of heaven. He's present in the depths of earth. Verse 9, he says he's present even if we could fly at the speed of sound to get to the far side of the sea. Verse 11, he says he's present even when physical darkness or even moral darkness tries to hide us. Verse 7, he says, David says, there is no place where I can go from your spirit or flee from your presence. You are everywhere, God. Now, I... I used to, when I was a little kid especially, I used to lay on my back and look up into the sky. Maybe you've done that. And you you look up there and you're you're looking at the clouds. And then you begin to imagine what's behind those clouds and beyond the moon and beyond the sun. You ever done that? Just lay there and took it all in. And at some point, it's very fascinating, you cannot get your mind around it. In fact, there's a writer, Sam Storms, who wrote an article that I just loved, and he made this statement in a paragraph. He says, imagine flying 500 miles an hour in a jet plane, okay? That's what you normally fly, about 500 miles an hour. Now listen, if you could get in a jet plane and fly nonstop 24-7, think about this. It would take you 21 days to get to the moon. 500 miles an hour, nonstop, 24-7. It would take you 21 years to get to the sun. It'd take you 900 years to get to Pluto. And it would take you 6 million years to get to the nearest star. 
That's still nothing. It would take you 4.2 trillion years to reach Andromeda, the next closest galaxy to our Milky Way. Is that amazing? And guess what? When you got there, God would be there. That's incredible. God is omnipresent. And when this is the case, it causes us to choose to live quorum Deo, before the very watchful eye of God. Now, that's a fun doctrine when you're walking in obedience. You're what? You're everywhere, God. I love that. I remember losing a fan belt in Green River, Utah in a snowstorm when I was in college. And I remember saying, God, are you here? Green River, Utah? You know, it's where they have those markers that say, next stop, like 260 miles. God was there. And I was grateful. But frankly, we don't necessarily like Coram Deo when we're not living the way God's asked us to live. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says at the moment of temptation, we become practical or pragmatic atheists. He says at the moment of temptation, our sense of God may lose its reality. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness about God. And we make that choice, forgetting. I think that's what happened to our friend in the scriptures who wrote this psalm, David. At a time when kings go out to war, he forgot about things. And instead he stays home and he, as you know, the rest of the story has this terrible downfall. That's why I so appreciated this man that came up to me after one message I had preached. And he said, you know, here's how I take care of temptation, especially on the road. I said, how's that? He said, well, you know, when you get on the road in those hotels and stuff, there's a lot to watch on those televisions after work. He says, you know what I do? I carry a picture of Jesus in my briefcase, and I tape it to the front of the television. That's pretty good, I think. You know, our lives would really be different if we, on the, the negative side, realized that God was, was present all the time. But listen, on the positive side, our lives would be so filled with joy if we knew that God was there all the time. Now, there's a third principle I want you to see, a third attribute that I think is very important to be encouraged this morning, and it's this. Third, the psalmist says, God personally created me. Look at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, what attribute is this describing about God? It's describing theologically his omnipotence. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he has all-encompassing power. It means that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. It means that God is the one who carefully and meticulously made each one of us. He created us by his power. Now let's look a little closer at what's being said here. Verse 13, we notice what God did. 
He created our life by his design. Verse 13, we also notice that God planned our life. He ordained our days before they came to be. Verse 16, and he sustains our life according to his care. He keeps us in his thoughts. Verse 17 and 18. So we see what God did. But we also see how how God did it. He knit us together in a wonderful and fearful way. Verses 13 through 14. Like those sonograms we saw, he personally saw us and made us as he willed. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made, when I was woven together. Your eyes saw my unformed body. So we see what God did, how God did it. But watch this. We also see where God did it in the secret place, verse 15, in the depths of the earth, Kind of a, an idea, a concept of in the womb. You knit me together in my mother's womb, verse 13. And as a result, the psalmist says, verse 14, I will praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if we were to take a, a, a summary from this, if we were to say, what is it we're to learn about this whole idea of, of babies in the womb and life and, and pregnancy and all of that, here's what we would probably take away. First, we would say from this scripture that we would affirm our basic physical design was prescribed by God. Every single person here. God was in your design. Secondly, we would say God's design and purpose for us is according to his will and his plan. You're not a mistake. Third, we would say that he personally and creatively made each and every human being in his own image. We'd also take away from this that that which God makes in his image possesses intrinsic value. Therefore, I would state this with great strength, every human being is precious to God. Whether rich or poor, whether old or young, whether sick or healthy, weak or strong, articulate or unable to communicate, whether almost in the tomb or still in the womb, every human being is precious to God. Amen? And that's why the Bible says, and this is a powerful verse, write this down, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And I just take the application Speak up for life. Speak up for life. Tell people what's true. With grace and gentleness, but speak up. Don't be quiet. There's one more attribute in the character of God that I want to bring to you today that I pray will encourage you. And it's this idea in verse 19 through 24 of Psalm 139 that God will always preserve us. Now, I, uh, I love my kids. 
And they tell me that a new adventure is about to begin with this grandparenting thing. Anyone agree with that that's here? I, he I hear the beauty as you get to send them home. I've had enough. Come, go. Come, go. I like that. So I am just thrilled that my daughter, Kylie, is getting ready to have a baby. In fact, I just got to tell you, as you all sit here in the front with those babies, this is the greatest time of your life. And I say this often. It seems like yesterday my girl was this, was this size. And now, I, today, she's all grown up and having babies of her own. But I'll never forget when I baptized Kylie, when she was maybe about five or six years old. Uh, she's an interesting girl because she's, very, she's been, always been very articulate. In fact, I think it was when she was two, two and a half, we're sitting at the dinner table talking about spiritual gifts. Can you imagine that with a two and a half, three-year-old? And each one's saying what their gifts are and all that sort of thing. And Kylie raises her hand. I know what my gift is. What's that, Kylie? My gift is to bring joy to this family. <laughs> so you won't be surprised what happened at her baptism. So at our church, the way we do baptisms is, you know, we'd, we'd have the little kids here. We'd ask them two questions. Well, you know, uh, why are you being baptized? And they would say, and then we say, what's your favorite verse? And of course, you know, the standards, right? The, the kids are like doing the normal verse. And, you know, so Kylie goes, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever loves, you know, you, you know would not perish, right? He, I go, Kylie. And she's like, now she's six, say. What's really your favorite verse? She looked at me with like, do I have permission for sure? Yeah, what's your favorite verse? I wish you would slay the wicked, O oh God. <laughs> Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. <laughs> and I said, sweetheart, never forget that verse. <laughs> you bloodthirsty men, stay away from my daughter. That's what it says here, that God's going to take care of us. He's going to keep us. That's because he's sovereign. He's the supreme ruler. He successfully and powerfully rules over all he's made. I love this quote from A.W. Pink. He says, being infinitely elevated above the highest creature, God is the most high Lord of heaven and earth, subject to none, influenced by none, absolutely independent. He does as he pleases only as he pleases, always as he pleases, none can thwart him, none can hinder him. Wow, don't you, don't you love being on that team? God's team? Knowing that he will always keep us and preserve us. So what does that do in our lives? Well, how does he show us sovereignty? In two ways. Number one, look at this. Verse 19, by protecting us, from external threats by staying the ways of evildoers. If you would only slay the wicked, O oh God, you will keep away the bloodthirsty men. 
Psalm 18 says, I love you, O Lord, my strength, the Lord's my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My rock is my God. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who's worthy of praise, and I'm saved from my enemies. Isn't that powerful? Wow. That's what Joseph in the Old Testament knew about God, that he keeps us, he preserves us. But the second thing I want you to notice here, God shows his sovereignty, not just by keeping us from evildoers, but secondly, by protecting us from our own self-destructive ways. And frankly, can I just tell you, sometimes the greater enemy is us, not the outsider. It's what's inside the interior fort rather than what's on the outside. And that's why the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way. Where? In me. Any doubt in me. Any tendencies in me, they're going to take me away from you, O God. That's why Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And look, I'm just telling you, all the time there's the temptation to have something inside of us not be right. Like December 19th, I went into the hospital with chest pains and I discovered that I have a permanently closed artery. It cannot be repaired without bypass. I was devastated that me, this incredible athlete, has something wrong with me that cannot be overcome except through using medicine. And you know where it took me? It took me to fear and doubt. And I finally just said, my wife was sweet to point it out to me. I was filled with anxiety. And I said to the Lord, please, Lord, take this fear from me. Because you know, you know this. It's those interior things that can sideswipe us even more than those outside things. And that's why the Bible says, God is working all things together for our good. We need to know that. That he's conforming us to the image of his son. And he's tenacious to do it. So that passage that's so famous, Romans 8, 28, where we're talking about God working it all together for good, ends by saying, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us... What can be against us? There you have it. Four attributes in the character of God that so encourage us and inspire us and change our perspective. Back to my friend in Lake City. I didn't know what he was going to do I didn't know what choices he's going to make after I left, but I forgot to tell you, he was a, he's a photographer. And he told me in that conversation, he hadn't taken a picture in two or three years. He is so down. 
But this is the most encouraging part. As I'm driving away, checking my Facebook, which I should not have been doing, maybe I pulled over the side of the road. I can't remember. I remember looking, and there was a post from my buddy. And in the post, he had taken pictures of a triple rainbow. He was encouraged. I end by asking you this question. How do you see God? And may I say this, when you take all this together, this is what I want you to take home. God sees you. And he loves you. Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. It convicts and turns us and shapes us and gives us a sense of hope. And I pray, Lord, for the ones that have come today feeling a little bit of hopelessness, that they would be encouraged. Because they come today to understand a little bit more about who you are, God. We love you. And this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.